0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Fort Snapple Cultural Podcast. Podcast about a Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host Joe Fischetti. Thank you again for listening, and if it's your first time, welcome to Farts Napoli. On today's episode, we'll start with a very brief Napoli news segment, then we'll cover the latest action in Serie B and in European competition. In part 2, we'll review Napoli's Champions League return leg against Barcelona, and in part 3, we'll recap the roller coaster ride that was Napoli's 2019 2020 campaign. So, getting right into the Napoli news on Monday, Gennaro Gattuso met with Aurelio De Laurentiis in Capri to discuss the manager's renewal, which is expected to be for two years with a pay increase to 2 million euros per year, as well as to talk about the transfer market. With Napoli season now over, the transfer rumors have really picked up. We'll do a comprehensive summary of all recent transfer rumors, both outgoing and incoming, on our next episode, so I'm not going to address transfers today. Not to worry, though, there will be plenty of transfer talk in the coming weeks. In other news, Lorenzo Insigne took to Instagram to bid farewell to Jose Calejon. He said, Dear Jose, unfortunately, our paths diverge today. It has been an honor to be by your side all these years. I was lucky enough to meet a fantastic man, an incredible player, an exemplary professional. I will miss you in the locker room, I will miss our laughs, and yes, I will miss your fantastic cut in the penalty area. I wish you and your great family the best. Good luck, my friend. Moving on, we don't have any news from Seti A, but we did have some Seti B action. The semifinals of the promotion playoff commenced on Saturday with the first leg between Kievo and Spezia. Kevo won that match 2-0 and seemed well on their way to the final. However, in the second leg on Tuesday, Spezia won 3-1. A bunch of sites were incorrectly reporting that Kevo had advanced on aggregate. They probably thought the tiebreaker is away goals, but in Serie B, the tiebreaker is position in the table, so Spezia advanced to the final. The other semifinals: the Pordenone vs. Frozinone. The first leg remained scoreless for most of the match, but in the 82nd minute, Luca Tremolada Broke through for Pordenone. That was the only goal of the match. The second leg will be played on Wednesday. Finally, Pescara played Perugia in the first leg of the relegation playout. Pescara won that match 2-1, so they head into the second leg with the advantage. The second leg will be played on Friday. In Europe, the Champions League round of 16 matches were played over the weekend. Juventus played Lyon at the Allianz after losing the first leg 1-0 away. Leon were awarded a penalty early in the match after what appeared to be a perfectly clean tackle from Rodrigo Bentancur. VAR reviewed the play and somehow upheld the decision. Memphis Depay stepped up and chipped into the back of the goal to put Leon ahead 1-0 in the match and 2-0 on aggregate. That meant that Juventus would need to score 3 goals to advance. Juventus got one back after an equally terrible penalty call. Pjanic's free kick struck the arm of Depay in the wall. His arm was tucked into his body and definitely did not make himself unnaturally bigger. You might say that this was a make-up call, but in reality it wasn't. Because Lyon was the away team, their penalty was effectively worth 1.5 goals. Ronaldo converted the penalty to tie the game. In the 60th minute, Ronaldo scored a second, so Juve were very much alive in the tie. They tried bringing in Dybala to boost the attack, but he only lasted 14 minutes before having to be taken out. Leon managed to hold on and advanced on aggregate. Juventus were eliminated from the Champions League. Maurizio Sarri was subsequently relieved of his duties despite winning the Scudetto. And remarkably, Andrea Pirlo was appointed in his place. Pirlo had just recently been appointed as the manager of the Primavera squad, had never coached a single minute at any level, and does not even have his coaching license yet. The other match on Friday was Real Madrid vs Man City. City went into this match up 2-1. Raheem Sterling opened the scoring after some terrible defending from Real Madrid. Ederson made a couple of big saves on Benzema and Hazard to preserve the lead. Benzema equalized in the 28th minute to put Real back in it. This was a really, really nice goal. Real did well to avoid City's pressure. Rodrigo did well to turn past Jao Cancelo and then played in a beautiful cross. And Benzema did exactly what he does best. In this case, it was a beautiful header into the bottom corner. However, Gabriel Jesus' goal in the second half put the match out of reach, and it ended 4-2 on aggregate. On Saturday, Barcelona eliminated Napoli, which we'll cover in greater detail in Part 2, and Bayern Munich played their second leg against Chelsea on Saturday as well. It was always going to be a difficult proposition for Chelsea entering this match down 3-0. Things didn't start well for Chelsea, They really struggled to get past Bayern's high press. Robert Lewandowski opened the scoring from the penalty spot in the 10th minute. He was initially called offside, but after a VAR review, the penalty was given. Bayern doubled their lead in the 24th minute. Mueller quickly closed down Kovacic to force the turnover. Bayern immediately sprinted forward in numbers. Lewandowski picked out Perisic, and he finished past Caballero. Callum Hudson-Odoi pulled one back in the 28th minute with a beautiful bending shot from outside the box. To be Manuel Neuer. Unfortunately for Chelsea, the goal was ruled out for offside. Chelsea did get their goal just before the break. Tammy Abraham was waiting on the doorstep after Neuer spilled Emerson's low cross. That goal was really just a consolation for Chelsea, though. A couple of Bayern substitutes linked up for the third of the match. Philippe Coutinho, who came on for even Perisic, spotted Lewandowski on the wing. Lewandowski played a beautiful left footed cross into the box, which quarantined Toliso, who came on for Tiago Alcantara volleyed in. Even at 3-1, which was 6-1 on aggregate, Bayern continued to dominate play. In the 84th minute, Lewandowski scored his second of the match with a header into the bottom quarter. That made the score 4-1 in the match and 7-1 on aggregate, which is how this one ended. So the 2019-2020 campaign has come to an end for Juventus, Real Madrid, Napoli, and Chelsea. And the quarterfinal fixtures are now set. We already knew that PSG play Atalanta and Atletico Madrid play RB Leipzig. Now we know that Barcelona will play Bayern Munich and Manchester City will play Lyon. So that's the Champions League. The Europa League quarterfinals commenced on Monday with two matches, one of which was Inter against Bayer Leverkusen. This one started somewhat similarly to the Hetafe match in that Inter's opponent started out positively, but like in that match, Inter slowly took over. Nicolo Barella opened the scoring for Inter. Romelu Lukaku's shot was blocked, but the rebound spun out to Barella at the top of the box. He tucked his shot with the outside of his boot neatly inside the post to give Inter the lead. Lukaku doubled Inter's lead shortly thereafter. Once again, Lukaku showed his strength beating Leverkusen keeper Lucas Hradecki while he was being pulled down by Baumgartlinger. With the goal, Lukaku continued his streak of scoring in every Europa League match for Inter this campaign. Moments later, Lukaku nearly made a three, but Hradeki challenged and made the save with a strong arm. That was a huge stop as Leverkusen came right back the other way and pulled one back. Kai Havertz played a give and go with Kevin Volland before beating Handanovic. In all likelihood, that was Havertz's final goal for Leverkusen. Then just minutes after that, Inter were awarded a penalty for a handball in the box. Finally, Var was used correctly to reverse the call. Sinkgraven appeared to be pulling his arm into his body to avoid handling it, so the penalty was taken back. The second half was entertaining but scoreless. There were some nervous moments for Interisti, which seems to be the case at the end of every Inter match, but this one ended 2-1 and Inter advanced to the semifinals. The other match on Monday was Manchester United vs FC Copenhagen. Mason Greenwood opened the scoring just before the break, but his goal was ruled out for offside. Marcus Rashford scored in the 57th minute, after Greenwood hit the upright, but Rashford was offside on this play as well. Bruno Fernandes hit the upright, and Copenhagen keeper Carl johan Janssen made a number of big saves to keep the match scoreless. United eventually went up from the penalty spot in the 95th minute. Janssen made a few more big saves after that, but this one finished 1-0 for United. The other two quarterfinals were played on Tuesday. Wolverhampton played Sevilla in the marquee match of the round. Wolves were awarded a penalty early in the match after a brilliant run from Adama Traore, but Raul Jimenez was stopped on the penalty. Just before the end of regulation, Lucas Ocampos put Sevilla ahead with a powerful header from Ever Banega's cross to give Sevilla the 1-0 win. And Shakhtar Donetsk dominated FC Basel. Four different Brazilians scored for Shakhtar in the 4-1 win, so the semi-finals are set for the Europa League now. Inter will play Shakhtar and Sevilla will play Manchester United. So that will do for the news in Part 2, we'll review Saturday's match against Barcelona. Okay, so next we'll review Napoli's match on Saturday against Barcelona.
2: Well, it's a huge night ahead. Barcelona and Napoli, one all after the first leg. Barcelona will be kicking from left to right in the first 45 minutes. Napoli to get the game underway. It's Kike Setien against Gennaro Gattuso, mark two, five and a half months on from the one all draw in the Sao Paulo, in Naples, in southern Italy, so...
0: Do well, in It's
2: in to head Barcelona in front! It's a great header, he was too strong for Koulibaly. Right Longley hard, pushed yeah. Diego Demmer out of the way, he then knocked over Koulibaly you do wonder whether that goal is going to stand or not. They are discussing it. There is a goal check from VAR. Goal given. Goal given. Suarez away to Messi. Messi still going. Back on his feet brilliantly. Lionel Messi! Oh, what a goal! That is absolutely brilliant. Messi at his best. ...into Frankie de Jong, look at Jordi Alba go to his left-hand side, de Jong uses him, can pull it back to Suarez, good save by Espina. De Jong, Messi, and in! Well, I hate to second-guess VAR. It certainly touched his arm, Steve, you It, it You're touched right. his arm and if it touches his arm, the goal can't stand and it's ruled out Handball, yeah yeah and that is the right decision clive i mean you can argue it, it is, steve, about, yes. you can argue about whether you agree with the law but that is the law and therefore the goal can't stand hey Bayern in the quarter final oh koulibaly well messi made the challenge both players are down here well barcelona are appealing for a penalty yeah. because this reviewed for me steve is a penalty you can see yeah, Messi plays the ball kicks from behind that, this should be a penalty kick. Messi's boots in front. And that's a penalty kick. Yes, it is. It's a penalty to Barcelona. This to make it 3-0 on the night to Barcelona and 4-1 on aggregate. Luis Suarez facing David Ospina. Messi not even watching. And Suarez scores. Post. Oh, oh, it's a penalty. Merns has gone down and Yunet Shakir, the referee, has pointed to the spot. It's a penalty to Napoli. Well, the drama continues. I think record keeps... Well, Napoli will need to score three times to win this tie. This could be the first. Insigne scores. Messi... And the referee blows his whistle, and Barcelona!
1: As you heard, Barcelona won this match 3 1. As usual, we'll start with the lineups. Kike Setien went with a lineup pretty close to what we were expecting. He lined up in a 4 3 3 with Marc Andre Stegen in goal. At the back, Nelson Cimeto played on the right, and Jordi Alba played on the left. I was really impressed with Cimeto's pace. He made a run in the first half from his own end where he was just gliding past Napoli players with ease. Alba is a reliable defender. He made a really important block on a Callejon shot in the opening minutes of the match. Gerard Piquet and Clement Langlais were the centre backs. They were both excellent as well. Langlais scored Barcelona's first goal. Even though he pushed Demet into Koulibaly, which we'll talk about later, he still managed to get a strong head on the ball to beat Ospina. He also had a few important blocks in the second half first on Milik, then on Politano, and then on Elmas after that. Pique had an important interception to prevent Callejon from getting a shot off at the very end of the first half, and in the second half he did well to block a Koulibaly header that appeared to be goal bound. From left to right, Frankie De Jong, Ivan Rakitic and Sergi Roberto played in the midfield. We were expecting Ricky Puig to start over De Jong who had just returned from injury, but De Jong had a solid match. He made a few beautiful passes to his forwards in the first half including on the Messi goal that was disallowed. Even Rakitic is an incredibly useful player to have, particularly in a match like this where Busquets was suspended. Rakitic has plenty of Champions League experience and slotted comfortably into the midfield, always calm on the ball. Sergio Roberto completed the midfield even though he normally plays at right back for Barcelona. He's a natural midfielder, so he too looked very comfortable in the match. Up top, Griezmann played on the left over Ansu Fati. Luis Suarez lined up in the middle and Messi lined up on the right. Suarez converted the penalty and had a hard shot stopped by Ospina just before the disallowed Messi goal. Other than that, all I can remember from Suarez is going to ground looking for calls. Finally, you had Lionel Messi who showed that even at 33, he is still the best player in the world. He was the difference in this match. He scored a ridiculous goal to put Barcelona up 2-0, which we'll talk more about in a bit. He thought he scored a second in the 30th minute, despite being marked tightly by Mario Rui. Messi somehow controlled the ball in his chest before firing past Ospina. After a long VAR review, the goal was disallowed. And then, of course, he won the penalty on Barcelona's third goal. For Napoli, there weren't too many surprises in the lineup, really. David Ospina started in goal. He made a good save on Suarez in the first half, but also did pretty poorly on Messi's goal. Mario Rui started at left-back. He had another good performance. As usual, he got forward quite a bit to support the attack, but he also made a few really good defensive plays. He made a key interception in the 6th minute on a pass by Messi that would have played Semedo clear to the goal. Then in the 2nd half, he made a tackle on Messi to stop the Barcelona attack and start the Napoli counterattack, which nearly led to a scoring opportunity for Fabian. Rui nearly assisted Napoli's 2nd goal with a perfect ball into the box, but Milik was called offside. And as always, he plays with grit. He got in the face of Antoine Griezmann after Griezmann had a few choice words for Rui after being fouled by him. Later in the half, he had a talk with Luis Suarez, after Suarez went to ground a little too easily for Rui's liking. Giovanni Di Lorenzo started at right back. He had a fairly quiet match. He had an opportunity late in the match, but his shot was straight at Ter Stegen, who made the save fairly easily. Kalidou Koulibaly and Costas Manolas were the center backs. I know a lot of people would have preferred to see Maximovic start over Manolas because the Manolas-Koulibaly pairing has really struggled to find rhythm, but I thought Manolas had a good match. He made a key sliding interception in the second half on Sergio Roberto's cross intended for Luis Suarez. He also did a good job tidying up after a Mario Rui mistake in the Napoli box late in the match. Koulibaly didn't have a great match, but I thought the criticism of him was a little bit harsh. He did play a wayward switch to Di Lorenzo in the 6th minute that went out for a corner, but nothing came of it. And obviously he was to blame for the penalty, but he also made a few excellent plays, particularly in the first 10 minutes of the match. In the opening minutes, immediately after Mertens missed his chance, Barcelona came back the other way and it was Koulibaly who intercepted the through ball intended for Suarez, and in the ninth minute, he made a good block on a Messi shot that went out for a corner kick. In the midfield, Diego Demme started at Regista behind Fabian and Zelinski. Demme had a pretty quiet match too. Other than when he got pushed into Koulibaly on the first goal, we really didn't hear his name called too often. At the half, Gattuso replaced Demon with Lobotka, who offers a bit more creativity. I doubt we would have seen that change so early in the match if it was closer, but Lobotka once again looked the better of the two. Zielinski was fairly quiet in this match as well. He had one opportunity in the first half where he skied his shot over the bar, but the play was called offside anyway. He was replaced by Lozano in the 70th minute. Lozano has been particularly dangerous as a substitute. He had an open header shortly after he came on but couldn't keep it down. Then in the 85th minute, he had a header from a deep Politano ball, but it hit the post, though Ter Stegen seemed to have it covered. Fabian was probably Napoli's best midfielder in this match. He was very involved with his play, which was very positive. In the second half, he had a chance to get clear to the goal on the counterattack, but he needed to get a touch on the through ball from Mertens. Instead, he let it run and the pass was a bit too heavy, so he drifted too far wide. Fabian was replaced by Alif Elmas in the 79th minute. Up top, Dries Mertens played striker, his best chance of the match came in the second minute, Insignia's pass deflected off Semedo and PK before falling for Dries, he hit the volley with his first touch, but he didn't connect fully, he was trying to hook his shot across the goal toward the far post, but got under the ball and sliced it into the side of the near post. Mertens also won the penalty just before the end of the first half. You have to love the way Mertens plays, though he never stopped running. Even in the 96th minute, down two goals, he was still chasing after the ball at midfield. Jose Callejon started over Matteo Politano on the right, in what turned out to be his final match for Napoli. I thought Politano would have been the better choice here. Callejon had a couple of half chances, but he was not really impactful on the match. Finally, Lorenzo Insigne was fit to start on the left wing. I really did not think he would be fit to play so credit to Insigne for toughing it out and for being honest with Gattuso. I doubt he was 100%, but even if we say he was 75%, he's probably still our best option at left wing. He did seem a bit slower than usual. I suspect he and Gattuso planned how they wanted Insigne to play to reduce the likelihood of aggravating his injury. He didn't seem to track back as much as he normally does, That said, he did seem to be involved in just about every Napoli attack. He scored the penalty, which actually made him the first Italian in history to score at both the Bernabeu in Madrid, and the Camp Nou in Barcelona. He flicked on to Mertens, who sprung Fabian on his chance, and he played a couple of through balls to Mertens and Lozano, though all of them were just a touch too heavy. Insigne was replaced by Arkadouj Milik in the 79th minute. Milik did well in the short time that he was on. He thought he scored in the 81st minute after his header found the back of the goal, but he was just a step offside. Milik had another attempt on goal that was blocked by... Milik had another attempt that was blocked by Langlay. In all likelihood, that was Milik's final appearance in the Azzurri as well. So those are our player assessments. Next, let's talk about the goals. Barcelona opened the scoring in the 10th minute from a corner kick. Clement Lenglet clearly pushed them into Koulibaly, knocking both players out of the play before he headed in. How a foul was not called there really blows my mind. VAR reviewed the goal, and somehow match official Sunet Secure was not asked to view the monitor. This was an absolute abomination. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but Barcelona are one of the biggest clubs in the world, which means their matches make the most money. So calls like this really make me wonder whether the same call would have been made had the roles been reversed, and I suspect not. For me, this non-call was nearly as impactful on this match as the penalty awarded to Leon was in the Juventus match, even though Napoli still needed only one goal to equalize, this non-call really killed Napoli's momentum, and the goal helped Barcelona's confidence as well. They slowly took hold of the match after that, and Napoli really didn't recover from that until the start of the second half. Messi scored the second goal in the 23rd minute. This was an absolute wonder goal. After an excellent build up from Barcelona, Suarez played the ball out wide to Messi on the wing. He took one touch to the outside then quickly cut in to split Insigne and Rui. He was then knocked over by Rui which may itself have been a penalty but he got back up and regained possession to lose an unsuspecting Koulibaly. Then he delayed his shot by half a second to catch Mano last leaning before he bent his shot around Ospina. Ospina got a finger on the ball but he couldn't keep it out. He was really poorly positioned for the shot. He was way too close to the near post. This goal really put Napoli in a bad spot in this contest. The first goal really didn't mean a whole lot. Napoli still needed to score only one goal to equalize. But after this, Napoli needed to score two. Barcelona's third goal was scored by Luis Suarez from the penalty spot. This play started with a throw-in in in Napoli's end. Maru Rui played the throw-in to Koulibaly, who dribbled past Messi, who was pressing him. Just as Koulibaly was about to play his pass, Messi stepped in front, so Koulibaly's follow-through took Messi's leg out instead of hitting the ball. Initially, there was no call, but VAR reviewed the play and awarded the penalty. Now, I've seen a lot of debate on Twitter about whether this is a penalty or not. I think you can make the case either way. In my opinion, this was the correct call for the very simple reason that one player kicked another. Now, I don't expect everyone to agree with me on this, and trust me, as a Napoli supporter, I definitely don't want penalties called against us, but I do try to be as objective as possible. So let's go through some of the arguments I've seen for why that should not have been a penalty, and I'll give you my thoughts. I've seen people say that there was no intent to foul. Unfortunately, when it comes to calling a foul or not, intent is irrelevant. Intent matters when it comes to issuing a yellow card or not, or when deciding whether a yellow card should be a red card. A good example of that was in the Roma Sevilla match. At the very end of the match, Gianluca Mancini was shown a yellow card for a foul and Luke de Jong. Var reviewed the tackle and the referee switched the card to a red because there was clearly malicious intent. But again, with a basic foul, intent does not matter. An example of this is the penalty in the Inter-Roma match. If you haven't seen that place Spinazzola attempted to clear the ball out of his own box. He completely whiffed on the ball, and on his follow-through, he kicked Victor Moses. The penalty was given, even though Spinazzola clearly had no intent to foul there, and not too many people took issue with that decision. Another argument I've seen from a few people is that Messi didn't have possession. Now this one I think is related to the third argument which I'll get to in a second, but strictly speaking a foul can be committed on a player who is not in possession of the ball. To give an extreme hypothetical example, if opposing players are completely removed from the play and one kicks the other, that's definitely a foul even though neither of them have possession. I also think it's debatable whether Messi had possession or control of the ball, he definitely got inside Koulibaly and he got a touch on the ball before he was kicked. The third argument I saw is that Koulibaly was already in the motion of kicking the ball so there's no way he could have stopped himself at that point. This one I struggle with the most. For American football fans it's similar to the roughing the passer or late hit on a kicker call where the defensive player launches before the quarterback passes the ball or the kicker punts but once the defensive player is airborne he can't stop himself. The reason I struggle with this is because if decisions are made the way this call was we could be setting a dangerous precedent. Attacking players will look to stick their legs in right before clearances with the sole purpose of drawing penalties. At the end of the day though, we can't complain too much because only a few minutes later Napoli were awarded a penalty with a pretty similar call. It wasn't exactly the same scenario, but the call was equally questionable. So those were the goals. I'll close with my thoughts on the match as a whole. All in all, I thought this was a solid performance despite the result. Napoli started the match exactly how they wanted to. They were playing confidently, not afraid, as we heard from Gattuso and Manolas in their interviews before the match. They passed the ball crisply and controlled the tempo. They were pressing high, which in the 4th minute led to an opportunity for Calejón after Dema intercepted Semedo's clearance in Barca's end, which led to a chance, but his shot was blocked. They were playing scrappy football. The forwards were tracking back and Barca looked very much in disarray with such heavy pressure on them. Right after the block shot, it was Mertens who chased down Messi at midfield. Messi managed to dodge the Belgian before passing to Griezmann at the center circle, and he was dispossessed by Jose Callejon, who had tracked all the way back into his own half. All of that positive play ended when Barcelona scored the opener in the 10th minute. Considering the way Barcelona scored this goal, with the missed foul by Longley, I'm sure the goal was demoralizing for our players. It also seemed to help Barcelona's confidence. They settled down after the goal and began to take control of the match. Barcelona were the better team for the balance of the first half. Credit to Barcelona though, they played a very smart half. They were letting the ball do the work while Napoli were chasing and burning their energy. At the half, Gattuso seemed to settle his players down and they dominated the play in the second half. The second half of this match in a way was the opposite of the first leg in that Barcelona were content to sit back and defend with 10 men behind the ball and counterattack. Napoli started to look fatigued around the 65th minute while Barca passed the ball around. Gattuso responded by bringing in Politano and Lozano in the 70th minute. I know a lot of people wanted to see Lozano sooner, but I was fine with the timing. Up until about 5 minutes before those players came on, Napoli were controlling the play and they looked threatening, they just couldn't seem to make that final pass. What was interesting was that Lozano replaced Zielinski, so like we thought might happen if Napoli were behind, Gattuso replaced a midfielder with an attacking player. He also instructed Lozano to play in the middle, which was another stroke of genius from Gattuso. Minutes after Lozano came on, he had a great opportunity, but couldn't keep his header down. It looked like Gattuso switched to a 4-2-3-1, with Mertens playing as a Trequartista just behind Lozano. Then in the 79th minute, he brought in Elmas and Milik, so Gattuso really threw everything he had at Barcelona. Once again, this looked like a brilliant decision. In the 81st minute, Milik found the back of the goal, but he was just offside. As has often been the case with this Napoli side, especially at the end of the Serie A campaign, the finishing was just not clinical enough. I'm sure that's at least partly why De Laurentiis was willing to potentially pay 80 million euros for Victor Osimen. After the match, Gattuso told Sky Sport that he was happy with the performance, but he was also frustrated. The team blacked out for half an hour, which Gattuso attributes to the mental fragility of the club, and during that time Barcelona did their damage. Other than that, Napoli were the better side. He said it's probably been 7 or 8 years since an opponent at Camp Nou had more possession and more shots than Barcelona. So with that, the 2019-2020 season has come to an end. In part 3, we'll recap what a crazy season it was. the final part, will review Napoli's 2019-2020 campaign, which could not be more dramatic. Heading into the season, many consider Napoli to be one of, if not the biggest threat to dethrone Juventus. The team managed to retain its key components while augmenting the squad with a number of new parts. All three keepers joined the club permanently at the end of their loans. Meret and Carnetsis joined from Udinese and Ospina joined from Arsenal. At the back, we acquired Costas Manolas from Roma to play alongside Koulibaly in the middle, though that partnership never really clicked. We also signed Giovanni Di Lorenzo, though we probably wouldn't have known what we had if Malquid didn't injure his knee early in the season. In the midfield, we signed Elif Elmas from Fenerbahce. Up top, we bought Irving Lozano from PSV for a club record, 42 million euros. He was a player that Ancelotti wanted to play in his 4-4-2, and at the very end of the transfer window we added Fernando Llorente on a free transfer from Tonham. So, like I said, with all of these changes, all of which either improved the starting 11 or added depth, many thought that Napoli would challenge for the Scudetto, but also recognized that Inter had improved significantly and they had hired Conte, who always does well in his first season. Napoli got off to a decent start to the season, winning 3 out of 4, however, that loss was to Juve in a match where Napoli came back from 3 0 down to equalize before Koulibaly scored an own goal. After that, Napoli began to draw points, we lost to Cagliari at home. Drew to Torino away, drew Spal at home, drew Atalanta at home, and lost to Roma away. After dropping to seventh in the table, club president Aurelio De Laurentiis ordered that the club go on a retreat, which is not uncommon when teams are struggling. Typically, that decision resides with the manager, and Ancelotti had publicly stated that he did not think a retreat was the right approach. Nevertheless, he complied with the boss's orders. The club was scheduled to leave for its training ground at Castel Volturno after its Champions League group stage match against RB Salzburg. That match finished 1-1, but will always be remembered for the infamous mutiny that ensued afterward. Club Vice President Eduardo De Laurentiis went into the dressing room after the match to remind the players of the retreat, and all hell broke loose. After an altercation with Alain, the players boycotted the retreat and went home instead. Ancelotti took the team bus to Castel Volturno alone. The fine fined the players 25% of their monthly wages, totaling two and a half million euros, the maximum fine a club can impose on its players. Not surprisingly, results did not improve after the mutiny and the fines. Napoli went on to draw Genoa and Milan, and then lost to Bologna before drawing Udinese. Despite the poor form in Serie A, Napoli played really well in the Champions League, going undefeated in the group stage, which included a win and a draw to reigning champions Liverpool. Napoli secured their place in the knockout phase with a 4-0 win over Genk. After that match, Carlo Ancelotti was sacked. The following day, Gennaro Gattuso was appointed as the new manager with a contract until June thirtieth, 2020. The reports at the time were that the contract included an automatic renewal for one year if Napoli qualified for the Champions League. Things got worse before they got better, Gattuso lost 4 of his first 5 matches in charge and by the midway point of the season Napoli had dipped into the bottom half of the table in 11th place. At the time a lot of people questioned the decision to fire Ancelotti, even De Laurentiis went on record saying he should have kept him. I personally thought Gattuso was the perfect man for the job because the team was acting really immaturely and they needed a bull, a disciplinarian to come in and get these players under control. I did concede at the time though that had the mutiny happened later in the season, I too would have kept Acciolotti and overhauled the squad in the summer. De Laurentiis began his rebuild in the January transfer window spending approximately 90 million euros on 5 players. First he signed Diego Deme from RB Leipzig, then he bought Stanislav Lobotka from Saltovigo, Next, he signed Amir Rahmani from Hellas Verona with a loan back to Verona for the balance of the season. And just before the end of the transfer window, he signed Andrea Petagna from Spal also with a loan back to his former club. Finally, De Laurentiis agreed to an 18-month loan with obligation to buy Matteo Politano from Inter. It took Gattuso a bit of time to figure things out, which he owned by admitting that he had made mistakes, but the results did start to improve. The turning point of Napoli's season was the 2 1 victory over Juventus on January 26th. The match wasn't as close as the scoreline might suggest. Napoli were clearly the better side throughout the match, but conceded a goal to Ronaldo in added time. Napoli got better and better from that point, though they had the occasional slip like the 3 2 loss to Lecce, which Gattuso attributed to mental weakness. They also beat Inter 1 0 in the first leg of the Coppa Italia semi finals. They also drew Barcelona 1 1 in the first leg of the Champions League round of 16 at the San Paolo in one of the most electric atmospheres the tournament has ever witnessed. Just as things were going our way, COVID-19 hit and shut it all down. While some clubs suffered as a result, Napoli only seemed to get stronger. The entire squad stayed in the city, no one went abroad. Gattuso maintained regular contact with the players, especially Insigne, and each player was given individual workouts to do from home. During this time, the players rallied around their manager after the unfortunate passing of his sister Francesca, who had been battling an illness for many months. Though tragic, that event gave the players even more motivation to win for their fearless leader when football eventually resumed. The other big story during the COVID break was the potential departure of club legend Dries Mertens. With his contract set to expire on June 30th, Mertens was heavily linked to Chelsea as a possible replacement for Olivier Giroud, and to Inter as a possible replacement for Lautaro Martinez. Napoli Tifosi did everything in their power to keep the Belgian Chiro flooding his social media with warm messages and pleading with him to stay. When rumors surfaced that Mertens had agreed to terms with Inter, Napoli Twitter were ready to crucify him. Fortunately, in mid-June, the club announced his renewal for two years with an option for a third. It seems what may have sealed the deal with Mertens is the promise of a future role with the club post-retirement. Napoli's first match after the restart was the second leg of their Coppa Italia tie with Inter. Christian Eriksen scored early from a direct corner kick, but Mertens equalized just before the break. Not only did that goal secure Napoli's place in the final, it also solidified Mertens as the club's most prolific scorer of all time with 122 goals. After the match, Gattuso dedicated the emotional win to his sister and thanked the players for playing for him. Napoli advanced to the final where they defeated Juventus in penalty kicks to bring home our first trophy since winning the Copa Italia in 2014. After losing to Atalanta on match day 29, any hopes of qualifying for the Champions League were all but lost. That meant Napoli had little to play for in the final 9 match days, other than to prepare for their Champions League clash with Barcelona. Napoli dropped quite a few points during that stretch, largely due to an inability to score, particularly when Dries Mertens was out of the lineup. Arkaduj Milik, who was and remains heavily linked to Juventus, appeared to have checked out by the end of the season. In fact, Napoli struggled to score all year. Our friend Joey recently posted this stat on Twitter. In the 2019-2020 Serie a campaign, Napoli scored a total of 61 goals, which works out to an average of 1.6 goals per game. However, they did also lead the league in shots that hit the upright. For that reason, though, at the end of July, Napoli announced the signing of Victor Osimhen from Lille. Between the transfer fee, bonuses, and players heading back to Lille, this deal has the potential to cost Napoli 80 million euros, which is about 30 to 40 million euros more than the record fee spent on Lozano just a year prior. Napoli closed their season with that 3-1 loss to Barcelona at the Camp Nou. The players will take a short break before regrouping for their summer retreat at their new temporary training ground in Castel di Sangro. Osimhen, Petania, Rachmani, and possibly others will join their new teammates on the retreat while Alan Gulam Milik, Kusai, and Koulibaly may not. Cristiano Giuntoli will be extremely busy over the next few weeks. On our next episode, we'll provide a fulsome update on the latest transfer rumors. So that will do it for episode 34. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please give us a like, subscribe, and most importantly, give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you have any questions or if you'd like me to cover anything in particular, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore 5 or you can find the podcast at Fort Pod. We'll talk to you again later in the week, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, ForzaNapoli sempre!
0: Tu adoro, tu adoro. Adoro tu cuore ingrato, Adoro fuoco e sta, e sta. non Network.